Thomas mentioned John Moore in the announcements, a gospel preacher from Dripping Springs that also teaches at Bear Valley Bible Institute. He's been here in times past for a gospel meeting and for a marriage seminar, he and his wife, Carla. He has three sons, Jordan and Jacob and Micah. Each of the three is married. Uh, John had a heart attack or a stroke just after teaching Bible class at Dripping Springs near Austin earlier today. Please keep that family in prayer. He is a very fine gospel preacher, has the heart of a servant, and we'd like to keep him around and serving the Lord for several years, Lord be willing, on that. So please keep John and Carla and that family in your prayers. Probably nothing in all the world will say more about your relationship with God than your parenting. Let me repeat that. Probably nothing in all the world will say more about your relationship with God than your parenting. Parenting is very revealing because parenting reveals what we often stress and value and emphasize in our own lives as we are dealing with our kids. In this series on parenting, I thought it would be great to just give people basic Bible help as parents so that they could be more God-centered in parenting their kids, more biblically driven, and more careful and thoughtful in crafting parenting in a way that not only honors God, but is appropriate to each one of our children. One size does not fit all when it comes to parenting, does it? Children can be so very different. Again, let me define what I mean by parenting. Let me do it with six words and then with six phrases. Three words. Equipping for life. What are parents about equipping for life, equipping kids for life. But not just that, but three more words. Preparing for eternity. Preparing for eternity. Equipping for life, preparing for eternity. If you could talk about a parent's job description, that is what it's all about. But now let me give you six phrases that's going to be a little more thorough, a little more specific in dealing with parenting. And we'll spend just a few minutes reviewing, highlighting some of the things that we've looked at in this series on parenting. This is the third in, the, in a series of five total lessons, a mini-sermon series, if you will, on the subject of parenting. Parenting has to do with this, first of all. It is a mutual journey of intentional growth. Parenting is what? A mutual journey of intentional growth. Parents, we're all in this together. You, your spouse, the kids. A mutual journey of intended growth. Secondly, in the knowledge, love, and obedience of God. Because not only do children learn more about knowing, loving, and obeying God, but parents do too, don't we? And third, when we think about parenting, not only is it this mutual journey of intentional growth in the knowledge, love, and obedience of God, but it's also this for both parents and children. A lot of parents sometimes think that we're going to help you know and love and obey God, but they don't think enough about their own knowledge and love and obedience 
to God. But we're in this together again. Number four. Trusting in the Lord to transform each of us. Trusting in the Lord to transform each of us. Number five, to His image. In the process of parenting and over time, God transforms each of us, parents and children, to greater Christ-likeness. Where we really can say Christ in us, the hope of glory, Colossians 1 and verse 27. Number six, to the praise and glory of God. Because anyone that's ever parented, and the time came when their children left and were no longer under our roof, all we could do is thank God that things went as well as they did, that we survived as parents, and that they survived too sometimes. All to praise and glory of God. Now, you know, though I've said something, just a little something to this effect, I really want to make the point tonight. I am not an expert I think that there are people within the churches of Christ and there certainly seem to be many outside of the churches of Christ that think of themselves as experts in the area of parenting. I have made my share and then some of mistakes. God knows that. But I do think that I have been provoked to think more and pray more about what it means to be a God-centered parent. What it means to be driven by God's Word in our principles of parenting and then crafting carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully what God's will says about parenting as it concerns each child. There was a letter written to one of these counselors that evidently gave the impression that they had all the answers. I want to share the letter with you because it struck me, and this is not what I want to do at all in this series, nor do I want to give this impression. A 30-year-old lady wrote this letter to a parenting expert. You make it all sound so easy with your cute stories and principles. It's not. I have a five-year-old I cannot control. Nothing I say or do makes him obey Rather than me parenting him, I get the impression that he's controlling me. I hate to admit it, but I dread when he wakes up sometimes because I know it's going to be one battle after another throughout the day. Nothing about parenting is easy. A couple of statements. It broke my heart when I read that letter from that 30-year-old young lady about a five-year-old little boy. The statement that broke my heart the most is rather than parenting him... I feel like he's controlling me. And those of us who have parented know that that can be true of a five-year-old, but if it's true of a five-year-old, it can be a whole lot tougher when that person's 12 years old or when that person's 17 years old or when that person's 21 years old. Isn't that true? 
And while this sweet soul, this 30-year-old lady, obviously needed someone to talk to her and work with her a great deal more, another statement that I could relate to, parenting isn't easy. Even when we are dealing with the best of children and the best of circumstances, parenting can be tough. Amen? So we need to be sensitive to where people may be with their kids and compassionate. And yet this idea to be God-centered and biblically oriented and textually driven and to carefully and thoughtfully craft and apply God's Word to the lives of each of our kids is definitely an area in parenting that needs to be given much more thought. Now, in prior studies, I've dealt with six words. I'm going to deal with 12 in all. But here are the first six, just for memory's sake. Every parent needs to remember that parenting is a stewardship. That children are a gift and a sacred trust from God. They are ours for a while so they can be God's forever. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5. Parenting is a stewardship. Secondly, parents need God's grace and they need to constantly show God's grace. You know, you don't get a baby with instructions on how to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord step by step in every circumstance of life. God never gives us a task that He doesn't also give us grace to accomplish. True, sometimes parenting will require more of you than you think you have to give, but God gives unmerited favor to us so we can give great grace to our kids. And so we can speak with grace. Colossians 4 and verse 6 and Ephesians 4, 29. Third word, humility. Nothing can quite humble you as being a parent because once you start getting kind of proud of the job you're doing as a parent, something will happen where you're brought back to earth. Isn't that the truth? And once you start thinking you are a failure and a flop as a parent and that you've got to be the worst parent ever, your child will say or do something that gives you hope and makes you thank God. We are privileged as parents to partner with God in helping children know, love, and obey Him. That's something that ought to be greatly humbling, and it's a great blessing. Number four, identity. It is common for parents to find their identity in their kids, but we need to be constantly finding our identity in God and help our kids to do the same. To find their identity in God. Next word, process. Think of parenting as one ongoing long conversation where often you will be repeating things that you have said in earlier times. But it is a conversation. It consists of increments and moments and really what it is about is equipping them for life and preparing them for eternity. 
So teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Help me to remember how short the time is as a parent. Psalm 89 and verse 47. Redeem by the time up, Paul writes, because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Process. And then that sixth word that we looked at at the end of last Sunday evening. Presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Presence. I said that the most important passage on parenting was what? Any of you all remember? Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 can come to mind. But what was the most important one I said when you really think about it? Thank you, Brother Terry. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus begins by saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he concludes by saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But sandwiched between those two promises... Make disciples of all your families. (laughs) Baptizing them in the name of Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Parenting is about equipping for life. Preparing for eternity. Giving young people a heart for God. Next word, are you listening? None of the six areas that we've already discussed are easy as parents. Sometimes it's easy to forget about these principles. But tonight I'm going to deal with three biggies. Three areas where there are commonly problems with Christian parents. First word tonight, authority. Authority. And here's what I mean by authority. Parenting is not simply about what a child says and does. But parenting is about what prompts, directs, and controls what a child says or does. It's about their heart. It's about our heart, too. Authority is a matter of the heart. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. When Jesus spoke of some of the religious people who were hypocrites, he says, this people honors me with their lips. But they've got an authority problem because their heart is far from God. Matthew 15, 8. And if we are not careful as parents, sometimes we can so emphasize what they say and what they do that we fail to pay appropriate attention to what controls and directs and fashions what they say and do in the first place. Their heart. The only real way to have behavior modification is through heart surgery. And if we overlook their heart, we may modify their behavior for a time. But it will not really have the approval of God behind it because we have neglected their heart. Some passages to consider. Proverbs 4.23 Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, 
For out of it proceeds the issues of life. Every parent should think about that passage a lot. And as children are old enough, it should be a passage that children are taught to memorize and internalize. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it proceed the issues of life. Think secondly of Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. We want children who have truthful hearts and healthy hearts. Yet again... Look, if you will, at Psalm 51 and verse 10. And if you parent for years and your child becomes accountable to God, eventually this time comes when, like David of old, Psalm 51 verse 10, what a child wants as they become aware of the gravity of sin and the greatness of Christ's sacrifice and they understand things, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. And you hear what my buddy read in the scripture reading tonight? The words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4 really address this matter of authority. And what I want everybody to understand is this. When children are born into a world, into the world, they are born into a world of authority and they are not it. Now, it doesn't take long for them to be self-appointed little sovereigns. But they are born into a world of authority and they are not it. The words that are directed by God to children as it concerns the parents have to do with authority, and they are two. Honor your father and mother. Obey. Now, parents, I'm talking to you now. What are parents to be about? I'll get to this. But kids, one more time, children. Honor your parents. You look up to them and respect them. And you obey them in the Lord. Now, parents... Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 teaches... That parenting is a stewardship in which we have been delegated authority. We have been delegated authority by God Himself. And what I want children to recognize, what I want my grandkids to recognize through my grandparenting is how awesome God is, how His will is always for our good, how trusting Him is always right, and how loving Him is always the appropriate response. And parents who exercise that kind of authority that's been delegated to them are pointing the way to one whose authority is far greater than just mom and dad said something.
Before I go back to Ephesians 6, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5.15. And I mentioned this. I said when you are a parent or a grandparent, you start to look at passages in a slightly different way. You don't take them out of their context, but you understand how there may well be an application to parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He... That is Jesus died for all. That we might no longer live for ourselves. Isn't that common with kids? Here's what I want to do. Isn't it common with adults too? Here's what I want to do. That we might no longer live for ourselves but for Him. Mark that one. Because it's a struggle not only with children, but with moms and dads too. Living for ourselves or living for Him who died for us. We're pointing beyond ourselves to one greater, holier, more loving, more eternal. Secondly, look at Ephesians 6 with me. When it comes to teaching children the issue, the matter of authority, start early and start with little things and build along. Generally speaking, at a very young age, when a child can speak, they should also be taught to say thank you and please. And as they relate to others, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Why? Because at a very early age, in the little things, we want to instill this concept of respecting and honoring authority. Because if a child grows up never learning to honor and obey authority of others and to appreciate their value in place in God's system, how are they going to appreciate their Redeemer and their Lord as they get older. And so, see the relationship. Having a heart for God will cause little people to treat others with kindness and courtesy. And teaching them to treat others with kindness and courtesy will also help them to develop greater respect for God when we think of the two as being related, the two principles, God and people who've been made in the image of God. Number three, what we're trying to do is to help children know and love and obey God, and respecting His authority is part of that. And as parents, we should often refer to the fact that we have to know and love and obey God and respect Him too. God's in charge of this house. And what will happen is this. As we find ourselves as parents, Adam, trying to help mold and shape the hearts of our kids... We're going to find that the Father is molding and shaping our hearts. And as we complain about the rebellion and disobedience of our children, sometimes God is probably just scratching His head up in glory as He thinks about how often we're disobedient and rebellious to His authority. Again... And looking at this passage,
Jot down in your notes Proverbs 22:15. It's a passage kids probably aren't going to like a whole lot. But Proverbs 22:15 says, "Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child." No matter how good the child is. You know why? Because children are naive. They are simple. They may not understand the ways of life, although they think they know what they want. Isn't that the truth? And if you've ever been a parent, you've had these types of conversations, especially as kids get a little older. And they don't have to be too old, do they, Steve? Now, here's four words I want you to remember, and then we'll move on. The first word, how do you parent a child who's naive and simple and doesn't really know? In other words, who might be foolish sometimes? Glory. The first word is glory. You show them the God that's true and real, is so glorious and awesome and sweet and good and holy. And you explain those terms because you want their heart to be attracted to Him. The second word, how do you parent a child when it just seems that because of their youth and because uh, of just their naivete, they, they might be foolish. Point out constantly good things and good people. Point out constantly good things and good people. You want them to see the glory of God. There is wisdom. That's that second word, wisdom, in pointing out godly people and things that are godly. Number three, the term that I'm thinking about here is story. The Bible is a compilation of stories from Genesis through Revelation, of people who made good choices, God-honoring choices, heart-shaping choices for good, are people who made heart-shaping choices for evil. The Bible should be core curriculum material when it comes to helping children appreciate authority. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Colossians 3.16 And what I hope you'll do is this as you teach children about authority. Because they're naive, because they're simple, because they think they know, but they don't have any idea of how cruel and rough and unforgiving the world can be when they do make mistakes. Remind your children that God welcomes people who make mistakes and who fail. No one who looks to the good physician will ever be turned away. So always let them know that a welcome back, a welcome home awaits when a mistake is made. Now, second term tonight. I knew this would happen. But the word is discipline. The word is discipline. Authority, discipline. Because children do have a tendency toward misbehavior and selfishness. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 again, it says that fathers especially have a role in the area of discipline. 
Now, no one questions that mothers are involved too. But when you look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Colossians 3, 18 through 21, and Hebrews 12, 5 through 14, the father is specifically referred to in each case dealing with the matter of discipline. And it also indicates in <laughs> once in each of the passages that fathers can mess up in the area of discipline. Ephesians 6, provoke your children into wrath rather than bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3, that you can uh, discourage them rather than encourage them in discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, that you might end up providing more temptation in more areas than you wanted rather than truly disciplining them in the Lord. A lot to think about in the area of discipline. Let me define what I mean by discipline. Discipline is setting a child on a straight path. Carl, if children are arrows, Psalm 127, 3 through 5, and blessed is the man that has his quiver full of those arrows. Discipline is setting those arrows so they can be shot straight and true. And they can be able to get home to the target, God. It's not just setting them straight it's shaping their morals and character discipline is shaping morals and character and setting them straight so that they better know love and obey god you're starting to get the picture god-centeredness Discipline is so they can better know, love, and obey God. And discipline ought to equip children for life and prepare them for eternity. Now, a few thoughts about discipline, and we'll draw things to a close. Insights about discipline. The word for discipline is a broad term. It doesn't just refer to correction. It doesn't simply refer to punishment. It involves these things but is broader. Discipline can be instructive and corrective as well as possibly punitive or judicial where there's consequences to misbehavior and selfishness. Here's some basic insights to consider as a parent about discipline seven and I'll share them with you quicker than I'd like. First of all, discipline needs to be consistent and predictable. Consistent and predictable. By that I mean your children should know that if they do not tell you the truth, that discipline will follow. That's just one example. And there are people who are very religious and godly in many ways who were not consistent and predictable with their discipline of their children. Eli, 1 Samuel 2, 23 and following. Here is a man who is good in many ways, but he has two sons that are called worthless in Scripture. Hophni and Phinehas. Secondly, an insight about discipline. Discipline needs to be age-appropriate. It needs to be age-appropriate. When our son David got to be about 16 or so, his mama wasn't going to be able to spank him if she felt that the behavior warranted spanking. But at age 16, I'll tell you what, the car keys can really be a powerful disciplinary action. 
Not being able to go hunting or fishing can be powerful disciplinary action. What I'm saying is, as discipline will take various forms as children grow up, and we as parents need to understand that. Amen? I mean, I might have been able to spank David at age 16, but I'm not going to try it at age 31 today. Discipline changes. Third, it needs to be fair and just. Now, if you've been a parent for about six hours, actually a little bit longer, but when your kids start uh, speaking, it won't take long before they say, it's not fair. It's, any of y'all ever hear that? Fair and just. Take them to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they misbehaved, there were consequences to their actions, weren't there? They weren't very pleasant. They were going to have to leave the garden. They would have to work the ground for the food that they ate. Eve would bring children into the world and would know pain in childbearing. If the God of heaven who loves us and cares for us as nobody possibly could disciplines, then who are we to not seek to be fair and just and appropriate in our discipline as parents? And we tend to either be too hard or too soft. God help us to be fair and just. Now, by the way, even those consequences, did God leave Adam and Eve without hope? Did God leave Adam and Eve thinking that they were the worst things in all the world? Or did he give them some kind of hope for the future? Discipline needs to do that. Number next, this is number four. It needs to be child specific. We have two kids. Most of you are aware of that, a son and a daughter. With our son, the Board of Education gave him a pretty good education. With our daughter, a serious look would often cause her to burst into tears. Why? Because discipline needs to be child-specific. And what works best for one in the family as a child may not be best for another. Here's one, number five. Administered in love, not rage. Those kids will learn what, but, what buttons to push. Amen. And sometimes when you talk to them and are trying to discipline them, they will punch every possible button that they can and you will find yourself really, really, really mad. Young people, this shows that you're naive and not really wise in the ways of the world because nobody would ever do that if they were smart when they're about to get punished. It just makes things worse, doesn't it? But parent, discipline and love, not rage. You may be angry, but there's a time when anger becomes rage and we have lost control. That is not a good time to discipline. Be angry and sin not. Ephesians 4, 26. 
It may be the best thing a mom or dad can do. And dads, I'm talking to you, especially in this area of discipline tonight, is take a break. I'm going to leave for five or ten minutes. I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to God for a while. And then I'm going to come back. And we'll deal with this matter. Next. It needs to be future-oriented and forward-looking. I want my child, even when they need discipline, whether it's instructive, corrective, or judicial, I want to be thinking big picture so that they know and love and obey God. Lastly, this is number seven, an insight. Discipline is part of the stewardship involved in being a parent. He that loves his, ch- his child disciplines him. Good parents seek to honor God and His will in their practice of discipline. Now here's the third word. And I'm only going to mention it briefly and I'll talk more about it next Sunday as the Lord wills. The word is character. Authority, discipline, and character. In a lot of Christian homes I've seen through the years, there's been a lot of authority shown and a lot of discipline administered, but there's not been a whole lot of character developed. There's a conspicuous absence of Christ-likeness and godliness. Remember, we're working with hearts. Turn briefly to Romans chapter 1. The opportunity to develop character in a child is one of the greatest and most important privileges in life. To see the character of Jesus, the image of Jesus formed in them. Romans 8, 29. Now look at Romans 1 with me. The end of the chapter has one of those catalogs of sin. And I'm only going to mention a few of these sins or these mistakes or these misbehaviors. Because Lord knows it probably sounds like a home where there's kids. I pick up in verse 29... Full of envy. Any time in your house with kids where one child is jealous about what another one's got and what they don't have? Keep reading with me. Strife. They're fighting with one another. Deceit. Children telling less than the truth to their parents. Go a little farther in the catalog, gossips. What parent hasn't had to talk about being a tattletale? Gossip. Notice further in this list, in verse 30, insolent, ill-mannered, Immature, crude. The word haughty, proud, arrogant, full of themselves. How about the word boastful? Is this found with any children at all over time? I'm faster than you. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm better looking. I'm the favorite. Boasting, pride speaking about oneself. 
How about this one, disobedient to parents? Have you ever noticed that in this catalog? You know, you can read Romans 1 and you could just say, these are characteristics of a pagan and heathen world. Huh. Well, what are you saying, Mike? I'm saying it doesn't take your kids too long to start acting like little pagans and little heathens. That's exactly what I'm saying. And God wants us to teach them character. The character of Christ. They act heartless. Have you ever wondered how sometimes the sweet-hearted child that you've been given by God could act as if he doesn't have any heart at all? Ruthless. How in the world could you have done this to your own brother or to your own sister? Children are an amazing gift from God that we have the marvelous privilege of helping guide their hearts so they know character, the character of Christ in their lives. They're going to need that as equipment for life and they're sure going to need it in preparing for eternity. Amen. You've been patient. I'll give you time back next Lord's Day. But I think it's been worth our nickel. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to come to Jesus to know Him and love Him and obey Him. What a journey you'll be beginning as a child of God if you come to Him in faith, repentance, and baptism. For those of us who are Christians, we want to know and love and obey our God too. We've begun that journey, but we need to be intentional in our growth. And the place where many of us ought to begin is as parents and in our marriages so people can see Jesus alive and well in us. Let's stand and sing.